everybody and welcome back to the uneasy train explorers club podcast the place where curiosity is welcomed and no topic is too taboo to tread today i'm sitting here over zoom with daniel and allison of white gardenia how are you both doing today good doing pretty good thanks for having us on the show by the way yeah i'm a i'm a big fan of the work that you both are doing it's it's really interesting and definitely boundary pushing um could you give us kind of an overview of what gar- what white gardenia is and the and the history behind it well uh white gardenia is um a project that's about the two topics of pain and death and um that there's other things that come into play but um those are the two things that uh i've always been obsessed with ever since i was young and um the I'm I'm completely opposed to the idea of death, but pain is uh, for the human race to continue. We have to get used to the idea of pain, and so it's um, there's there's the kind of um, inbuilt tension between the two things, pain and death, because uh, to, you can kill yourself and end the pain right now, or you can um, keep going. And there's you know you 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 have to get used to pain. You have to acclimate yourself to pain. That's what horror films. That's what heavy metal music and um, transgressive culture in general is about trying to take pain and turn it into something pleasurable. And so that's kind of, to me, what the conceptual basis for White Gardenia is. Do you have anything to add to that, Allison? Um, nope. No, I think he pretty much covered it. Um, how did, indivi- on an individual level, how did you both uh, discover your interest in pain and how did you both meet each other? Uh, we met each other through a mutual friend um, named, named uh, Bridger from a, from a heavy metal band that I used to kind of be you know, a member of this band. And um, let's see. And well, uh, okay, so we, we, my, my interest in pain, I mean, I just started off like a, probably a million other goth kids, mostly goth girls who cut themselves when there's um, some kind of strange connection between that um, when you're young and you first are like understanding the concept of death, you kind of understand, you're old enough to understand, you know, that life ends. And then for some reason, that's the way goth kids deal with that. That's the way they process that information is they start cutting themselves. And so I just would cut myself and then it kind of escalated. But um, but I'll let Allison, as far as like how, how she first got interested in pain is probably- um... I don't really look at any of this stuff as like pain and oh I'm obsessed with pain and this sort of thing like Daniel is um for me the blood stuff is more of like its own medium to work through if that makes sense mm-hmm. um uh but yeah it's not really like a pain thing for me um but I guess I always been interested in horror and just the next uh, most intense thing uh, that I can experience, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, kind of when I see um, your body of work, um, Allison, you, you, uh, I notice a lot of like blood drinking and things like that from you and and Daniel. um, There's a lot of, lot more like self-mutilation and self-harm. And so is that, is, is that like a, I don't. I want to make sure I use like the correct language, but does that fall into 
like are these interests fall into fetish do they fall into um aphelia of some kind like is there a what do you guys uh, gain from engaging in these activities um for me uh and like daniel and i have an opposite uh sort of like a worldview and also opposite views on like death and life uh, which makes it really good to to work together um but uh um for me uh it's more of like uh, i don't know yeah it's it's more of an interest in like um god i don't want to say like occult like esoteric type stuff but yeah it's it's more of that leading in that direction yeah um, i think allison is right that we have like sort of polar opposite views or anything like i i have yeah she like she says it's not the occult and i um and i'm a, different from her in that i'm 100 percent have zero interest or knowledge in the occult i'm just like a straightforward christian but we also have completely opposite views on death like i i am not i'm, I'm trying to do everything i can to uh um well I, I'm like I said at the beginning. I'm completely opposed to the concept of death, and I think Allison is more open to to the concept of dying. I I don't think, I think in fact she has said that um, she has kind of uh, that it's not anything that scares her, or it's not anything that um, worries her. That I think she thinks it's a natural part of life, just part of the cycle of life. Whereas I, right, um, to, to me it's like that. Um, renders everything meaningless to, to know that that's the end where this is all leading is just death or oblivion then um to me that makes everything i do in life meaningless and so um that well that's why i embrace christianity is because christianity religion is a way to a potential door um you know a way to defeat death and 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 so as far as the blood i i don't perceive it at all as a fetish when i was young right. playing myself it wasn't anything to do with sexuality or anything to do with anything just but a coping mechanism like mm -hmm. i say just like a million goth girls cut themselves um it's it's just it's strange uh, like a strange way that they, it and it, part of it has to do with like shocking yourself <clears throat> creating um creating a pain that will kind of um interfere with um like thoughts of death it <laughs> it's um kind of again it's vague it's ambiguous it's not exactly clear why this is the way that people choose to cope with depression or a way to cope with fear of death but it is there's a tradition of it there's a tradition of goth girls cutting themselves and there's a tradition of you know in black metal in goth music you see multiple black metal bands that go on stage and cut themselves multiple goth bands that do that and so um i think i think in a in a way we're sort of a part of that tradition but then uh, it can reach out or go ahead allison sorry sorry um i definitely don't uh wouldn't like categorize myself as that like whole deal with like the shock value and the goth girl bullshit um <laughs> personally right. but um and also I think yeah it's not a fetish thing uh it's definitely sexual but not in a a fetish type uh way that that is like strictly for uh pleasure it's more of like a sexual on a uh, I don't know metaphysical plane I guess if that makes sense <laughs> and, and I totally agree that there's that we're never are searching we're never the intention is never shock value there's there's like a 
a lot of times in different podcasts, people have compared it to Gigi Allen. Oh, or, God. You know, different like Marilyn Manson, things of that nature. But um, yeah, it that, definitely that, has more meaning behind it than than. Right. That. I mean, I, I think there's definitely um, a lot. We have a lot more thought put into it. There's a lot more context. And I, um, the shock value is um, there's let's just um, let's put it this way. I'm not just like randomly out there cutting myself in, in a drunken stupor on drugs. Right, right. It, it's, um, it's all very carefully planned and everything is very, um, there's a conceptual basis. Every single film we've ever made, I can tell you the exact narrative, like the, the religious meaning I'm trying to get across, the, um, the like aesthetic, the, the conceptual basis, like every, everything is very well planned. And so I don't do anything, I'm straight edge. So, you know, I don't just get up on stage and start cutting myself um, just to create a spectacle. You know, everything is um, very meticulously planned. Yeah, I definitely can uh, understand both of your perspectives. I mean, I in my personal life have engaged in um, blood rituals and stuff like that. And there's a level of intimacy with that, with with certain people, you know, like with partners and stuff, having like a blood sex ritual kind of thing kind of brings you guys together and I, I mean, the only word I can think of is intimacy, and I don't mean intimacy on like a s- strictly sexual level, but like right. just kind of a thing that brings two people people together. You know, it's not something you would do with with anybody. Um, right. Well, right. Yeah, we. It's a medium, like I was saying. Yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's a medium in itself. It's its own entity, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's um, and also. There's so, I mean, I think our films could potentially work without any of that stuff. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to, um, trying to move past it because I, I would like to deal with more like religious themes. I definitely want to completely eliminate the pornographic elements to the films. I mean, that's completely overplayed and was never where our interests, we, we I don't think either me or Allison was ever really interested in the pornographic elements. It right. just kind of like by but- ha- and there's a difference in pornography versus, you know, flesh. So right, right. I I mean, I, I yeah, we've never done straight up pornography. Everything has had, you know, the, it, there's an artistic, aesthetic reason for everything we've done, and um, and you know, it just kind of came with the Trump years. Like there was something, the whole Why Gardenia project was because of Trump. It the um because as a Christian for Daniel. For me, for me, yeah, Allison. Um, to me, um, I was just a, a Christian conservative, you know. And when Trump started rising to power, there was just this strange energy in the air, and it was like all the Christian conservatives were worshiping this guy who had appeared in porno films, and who had, you know, was a serial adulterer who had cheated on his wife, and it just seemed like my community was moving in this really strange direction. And I kind of thought I'd always had a dark side, of course, but I'd kept it more or less hidden. And um, but then I thought, okay, these guys, Christian conservatives are totally embracing the dark side. So it kind of felt like I had this freedom to express my dark side. It kind of was like with the um, alt-right movement, you know, rising with Christian nationalism, rising to power. It kind of felt like, you know, I had this, I felt a sense of freedom that I could express these things that that you know you if if they were able to accept this guy who appeared in porno films then then i could release porno films and 
not not porno though. Again, I'll clarify. I think me and uh, Allison both agree. We never have done. We we have done commissions. People have commissioned us to make. Um, you know, they've had custom videos. They've sent us descriptions of scene, scenes they want filmed, and, and me and Allison have done that. But we kind of keep that separate from the stuff we do. Um, you know, the artistic projects. It might be those might even fall under the White Gardenia label, or they might be categorized as White Gardenia films. But we've always, in our minds, have kind of kept that separate. Um, what about you, Allison? What was your motivation to start the White Gardenia project? Um, it sort of uh, like I don't know when we met. It, it was like I don't want to say chance because I don't believe in that. So I feel like it was like meant for us, our two different views to to mesh. And I honestly hadn't really um, had any like specific interest in anything like this, but it uh, fell into my path, I guess, and uh, just developed into this. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that that me and Allison met. It does it. It, we live in Montana in a tiny community and the odds of finding any two people who are kind of into the same things, who have the same aesthetic interests is just, um, it'd be impossible to meet someone like Allison. So I, I just don't, it just seems like destiny that we, we happen to, um, you know, stum stumble that I, that my friend Bridger introduced us. So you both had these, these interests separately and then you met each other or did you guys develop these interests from hanging out together um daniel i mean has i'm pretty sure daniel has always been super interested in this kind of stuff but um for me um i've always been interested in strange things and always uh uh i don't know don't i don't really have any like limits if something presents itself to me um i'm sort of for it and but I was I was never like uh interest super interested in like filming and um I don't know whatever collaborating with these types of things um until we came together so um diving a little bit into um the self-mutilation aspect of your of your art um one segment that I really liked is the secret perfume of decay um, where you're you have a hand that you favor and a hand that you don't favor and you end up um, stabbing your hand um, are there parts of like what was the I thought that I from an artistic standpoint I really thought that was interesting but I also noticed looking at your work that um, at least from my from my understanding you were you tend to to favor one hand that you stab are there parts of your body that you like to uh, express that with um, the most? Um, like what is, what are, yeah, that, I, guess, I guess that's the question. Yeah, um, kind of some of that is based on the biblical verses about if, if your right hand offends you, cut it off and it's better to end up, uh, I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember the exact quotation, but it's better to end up missing a hand than to end up in hell. Mm -hmm. And so some of that, and I mean, I, when I was young, some of that was like, you know, stabbing myself to like control temptation to, mm -hmm. to like, if I was having sexual thoughts, I would maybe cut myself or something to like, try to 
in the way that saints used to do it in the Catholic, you know, back at Saint Saint Francis and guys used to cut themselves, mutilate themselves if they were having sexual thoughts as a way to avoid temptation. And that that was something, you know, when I was younger, that that definitely came into play. Um, in the Secret Perfume of Decay, that that's probably my personal favorite segment that we've made, and it was released through a Baroque house and. Um, that was also a story. I mean, it, it's ultimately about the serial killer George Hodel, um, or he hasn't. He wasn't proven to be a serial killer, but he was speculated that he was the Black Dahlia murderer. And in that scene where I'm dressed like the old lady, that that's I'm depicting George Hodel. And so that that one is a really complicated, you know, kind of exploration of the Black Dahlia murders and. But then the the you know it becomes a, like a an exploration of this idea of raising the dead about how you could potentially raise raise people from the dead women from the dead and there's um, it explores like extropic theory transhumanism things like this this idea that like all these people have been murdered through history and there's this really large contingency of people who are opposed to transhumanism opposed to this idea of trying to raise the dead. And um, that's, you know, an exploration of like these people who have, whose lives have been cut short and how we owe it to them to try to raise them from the dead. I know that sounds ridiculous. It sounds like science fiction, but, you know, there's enough people, there's enough scientists, theoretical physicists who seriously are talking about raising the dead and um, including people, high profile people like Elon Musk thinks we're already living in a simulation um peter thiel these different people who have and and these different theories have been before like quantum archaeology and these different things where it's now becoming very possible either through virtual reality technology or through quantum archaeology um that we would be able to raise the dead people raise them back with their memories intact and so that that's an obsession of mine that goes hand in hand with like my religious beliefs and um that's so in that particular one I was exploring that I explore that theme in almost every film we do though in almost everything we do that kind of works its way into the narrative um with you both working together on projects and the fact that you both kind of have different viewpoints on things um do you guys take turns back and forth in terms of coming up with narratives and coming up with um who's going to be directing and who's going to be writing um well, to both be able to express your different visions that you have well uh, allison, for instance allison just um we were working on this i'm trying to do this like four hour kind of stream of consciousness version of the bible and um so i i allison said we should do the story of salome and john john's head on the platter and and so she came up with it completely like that that's the segment we're probably going to do and so that was completely her idea and yeah but so, but we don't we i feel like you usually brainstorm ideas and then I will like branch off of that and then we just kind of you know brand get put our ideas together and make something but yeah that that's true but in that particular one you mentioned Secret Perfume of Decay Allison filmed um all the like which one stuff. is that well uh it's the one where it starts off I'm dressed like an old lady I'm cutting my hands and then you come you're you're being tortured you're going hitchhiking. Which one? Uh, uh, what? <laughs> but she filmed okay. all the torture scenes in that. 
by herself. She she filmed the directed it all. I thought by... Secret Perfume of Decay is the one where you're at the co-op. It is. Yeah. Okay. It's the one where I, yeah, I'm dressed as the old lady. Okay, okay, okay. And um it's kind of like a hag exploitation piece. <laughs> but it's um yeah, her her input's invaluable. Like Allison's input is um I'd say 50% of when, when I'm working on a project, I'm deferring to her maybe 50% of the time. Um, so it's to totally, truly a collaborative process. And it is true that there's a weird synergy because I, I want my whole goal in life is to defeat death and her whole goal in life. I don't know if I'd say her goal in life, but she wants to well, die. No, well, I don't, I don't want to die actually. <laughs> um, I feel like through uh, accepting death and being close with it um i live life to the fullest instead of being scared of it my whole life if that makes sense right right i think i think it does and that's another way that um goths also you know that embrace of death the, the fact that they try um it, that that's part of the way of processing death is for and you like, yeah 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 for me for well yeah. but i think, I think everything me. if you look at the history of heavy metal music death metal music black metal music it's to try to turn death into something well it, i think i think it was, i think a lot of those people though uh are still scared of it and i think that it's it's more of a shock value thing for them and less of a, a philosophical world life view if you will Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. If you look at um, Marilyn Manson, if you if you look at your <laughs> like if you look at the um, top heavy metal acts, um, definitely they're trying to get mileage out of it. Um, just, the right. scale, you know, nightmarish imagery. But it's probably not as I, I think we're, we're going much more in depth on the topic than, than your average goth fan. Um, you've talked a little bit about uh your rejection or I, I don't remember how you phrased it but kind of a pushback on death what is your what is your philosophy in terms of like I mean uh do you think that death death is avoidable well yeah I I think it's I mean everything I um everything I do is to try to um just try to avoid death and um you know the the thing is it, when you're when you're young, you're kind of caught in this trap of being like, um, <laughs> you're kind of caught in the trap. Like, um, well, as a Christian, you're, there's this on one side, there's, there's this weird binary thing where it's like death is on one side of the equation and hell is on the other side. So if, if you believe that death isn't the end, then the other possibility is that, you know, there could be heaven after you die, but then there's also, it could be hell. And so you're caught in this kind of nightmare scenario where on one side you could, um, it, it, so then you think, well, I, I can't live with this idea that I, I'm, I'm going to hell or that everyone I love is going to hell. So then you think, um, well, I'm, I'm not going to believe in God, but then, then life becomes completely meaningless. And then life becomes, you know, oblivion is like the only thing, everything you do, er, everything you do is pointless because you know, it's all going to end. And then, um, your memories are going to be erased everything you've done erased at the moment of your death so then i then you know when i got older i kind of i never stopped being a christian but then i kind of looked at things from more of an atheist perspective as far as um you know the what the quantum physicists 
people like David Deutsch and people like Frank Tipler were saying about, you know, simulation theory, this idea of like that, you know, we can recreate everyone, render everyone in a virtual reality simulation and resurrect the dead that way. And um, so then even from these atheist guys, there suddenly became this like really tenable, um, scientifically possible way to defeat death. And you even had um, people like Richard Dawkins, like the foremost skeptic, the foremost atheist in the whole world saying that, you know, he, he believed this is possible, that this could be the future of the human races that we would be able to create reprogrammable reality. You know, like even a million years out, we might be able to create a reprogrammable reality where we can um, make people not only immortal, but raise from the dead people who have already died. And then we use virtual reality simulation technology to reprogram their memories. You run through every possible set of memories to, to give everyone their, their specific set of memories back. So you literally are bringing everyone back from the dead. But then the problem with that is then you, again, you're stuck with this binary of like, death or hell because then once i start once you start thinking about this you start realizing that once we have reprogrammable reality it's also possible i think it's very unlikely but there's definitely talk even you know there, there's talk that will humans who are descendants whoever our descendants are or whatever the human race evolves into will choose to create virtual hells instead of virtual heaven and that seems absurd and I think it's extremely unlikely, but th that gets back to like, what is the human race really about? Like, what are we really, what, what really drives the human race? And I look at like, as someone who's in the transgressive community, who um, looks up to like the surrealists, who looks up to like transgressive artists, you look at someone like the Marquis de Sade, who I think has had more influence than anyone who's like kind of, it, he just everything he did just echoes on and on like the um he the marquis de sade represents this kind of like black hole at the center of human history and and so it gives this sense of like is this what a guy a super intelligent guy like the marquis de sade if he um if his you know ultimate ambition is to like torture and kill people and you know he spent his entire life just you know that that was his whole pursuit is he wanted to torture and kill people and is this what the could this be what the human race is really all about um and you see it also in the animal kingdom like i see every day my cat who i love is constantly torturing mice <laughs> you know every day there's like a fresh mouse carcass and um and and i love my cat and but if I was the size of a mouse, he would probably torture and kill me too. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm like, is this, what, what really is the human race about? Will, when we really are able to have reprogrammable reality and make all our, you know, create the universe the way we want it to be, it could be, it's, there, what I'm worried about is that, we'll, is that it will be hell. And um, I don't think that is going to happen. I, I really honestly believe that, I hope that, you know, that, the human race has a happy ending you know it it, it it would be um it would be great and the human race um i love the human race even, even though um for all its for all the um evil and everything i would love it if there was a positive outcome um 
but that's part of the pain dynamic is this you know uh there's this choice between death and hell and that's like everything but i i ultimately think it's going to work out okay it's just that i obsess over this stuff you know this is the thing this is the stuff that um that keeps me awake at night and this um i even have one of the segments we made why the human race needs to get used to pain is about this concept about um you know how extropic theory um Ultimately, the, the long and short of it is that the human race still needs to move forward. We still need to create like reprogrammable reality and make, you know, transhumanism is around the corner. We have to continue moving forward, developing technology and everything. Um, there is potential dangers. And you see people in my community, the Christian conservative community, constantly worrying about, you know, saying that there's all these dangers, that, that transhumanism is evil it's dangerous but we can't you know we have to keep moving forward the human race is always moving forward and even having children is dangerous because your your children could end up you know um christians have kids knowing that it's possible their kids will go to hell like one in three kids end up um not you know rejecting their faith one in three kids reject their faith apparently according to polling data and so if so christians have kids knowing that their kids could potentially go to hell but you still do it. You still keep moving forward. You have to. The human race has to keep pushing forward. And um, hope, hopefully, you know, I think things will work out. There's enough checks and balances in place. There's guardrails. And I think that everything will be fine. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm a very negative. I'm a very pessimistic person. But even, even I, you know, after looking at all this stuff very carefully, I think ultimately there will be a positive outcome. I hope. Um, but that's part of the stuff. That's part of the things I explore in our, in our films. Um, within the art that you guys do uh, and hearing that you guys have different uh, philosophies and things that you're interested in, uh, does it, do you guys push each other? Like um, with Daniel, with you engaging in like self-mutilation for you, Allison, is it hard to watch or participate in certain things um like the extreme example that that has gained a lot of notoriety is is the uh the finger cutting the finger off <laughs> um what was that for you Allison what was it like being there and participating in that knowing that you don't really uh hold the same interest that Daniel does um well uh I'm not interested in personally uh mutilating my body to that extent but I am all about uh, other people doing that if they so choose, you know. Um, I think I enjoy it. I, it's like uh, not something that everybody is going to have access to and maybe not even, you know, more than once. I mean, I mean, I'll probably never see somebody cut their finger off again <laughs> in person. You never know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I never know, but uh, I'm always uh, up for those kind of things. And being in the same vicinity or just closeness of that, um, it's it definitely has like a, ugh, I don't want to say like energy, that's a stupid word for it. But yeah, um, definitely has like a feel uh, to it, um, intensity, I guess, I don't know. Um, being witnessing that um 
and I don't know. There's a lot of thoughts going through my head, I guess, being around that. And I don't know, it's heavy, not in a negative way, but it's, yeah, it's definitely something. Um, For you, Daniel, uh, you've engaged in a lot of different kinds of self-mutilation, um, stabbing yourself with scissors, hitting yourself with hammers, nailing different parts of your body to to boards and and then infamously cutting your finger off um what can you tell us about these processes and what they're like and I'm I've, everyone wants to know like <laughs> what it's like to cut your own finger off so definitely get we'll dive into that but I mean the all of the all of the different things that you do um do you get a certain kind of it, it, what kind of sensations do you get participating in that well yeah it's like I, I'm always surprised when uh, I guess I put it this way that like I'm I'm in pain like almost 24 seven. So that that cutting my finger off for that film for XXX Dark World was probably the 10th least painful that happened thing that happened to me that day. Um, so when people say, oh, it's horrible. You did that to yourself. Um, that just waking up in the morning that that morning was more painful than cutting my finger off. There's nothing, <laughs> those are the, some of the only moments of peace I have. Um, I think I would say most goth kids would feel the same way, would tell you the same thing. They actually do that because it gives them, you get a little bit of peace, you get that endorphin rush. Um, you kind of, you, you're able to distract yourself from your excessive thoughts. And it's, I'm not, <laughs> you talk there's a lot of talk about like sensitive artists the sensitive artist i'm there's i'm completely desensitized i'm not sensitive in any way i'm like as cold and jaded as you could possibly get so those things i barely even feel them anymore to be honest i i tell you finger off i i barely barely even registered you know mm -hmm. um, you, maybe when i was young that thing like there there would be when I was when I was a kid, when I was cutting myself, you know, then you build up you build up pain tolerance over the years. It's to the point where it's become boring, which is one reason we're trying to move into different things. Where I'd like to move into like more religious themed films that are more about religion or extrapolate theory or things like that. There'll there'll still be violence. There's definitely still going to be violence in this Bible film. It's going to be, you know, extremely violent. But um, yeah, it's just it's kind of played out in a certain way um in terms of the different things you've done like nailing your hand to a board or nailing your your testicles to a board or cutting your finger off or what anything you've done what would you say is the most painful painful thing you've done um <laughs> it was probably the what, what one did i react the most to allison i think she knows the answer to this yeah it's the most recent one <laughs> well it was nailing my testicles to the board but you oh, know, God. the funny thing about that is there's no reason it should have hurt. The, the the real weird thing about it, I couldn't even find the injury points. Yeah, but there's it. there's like so many, like, I don't know if there's like nerves or, you know, pain yeah. receptors <laughs> or whatever. They have sensitive area. Like, it was hard. I couldn't go through with the third nail. Like, I just couldn't <laughs> do it because I could tell that it was like, it was awful. One, the fourth one, maybe. <laughs> or but the fourth also, one, yeah. Can I just, uh, just to clarify for the record, um, I just wanted to clarify, 
it's not clear from the video, but there definitely was shrinkage in that video. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I god! I want to clarify because, like, when we got in this, I, I wasn't even that worried like an hour beforehand. But it, when we finally got in the situation, I, I was like, the the whole Seinfeld thing kicked in, and I definitely was like, <laughs> right. But I mean, if you're holding, a, if you're holding a fucking a nail and a hammer next to somebody's, you know, very sensitive areas that's bound to happen. So <laughs> yeah, that, that was, that was the most painful for some reason. Um, others, you know, the, the other ones like the, the, just stabbing myself in the chest, the shoulder, that's just be, I could do that a million times. I don't even feel it anymore. It's just completely routine at this point. And I really don't feel it. So I, every, everything is, um, it, it's it, it's bound that it's gotten to the point where we just probably need to retire it and there'll be new and interesting ways to you know different different ways to look at violence because i'll always be interested in violence um but it's it's just i think that split that basically that release we did with jack mulvanity is kind of my last word on that and then the mutilation theater dvd um coming out from gorehounds is probably more or less the last that kind of transgressive art. I think that'll be kind of like where I say that's the end of transgressive art where there's not going to be nudity going forward and there's not going to be. I, I just want to take, have a different approach. There'll still be extreme content. I mean, the Bible's filled with extreme content. We don't even have to. It doesn't even have to be sensationalized. Even if we just do a faithful ad adaptation of the Bible, it's going to be extreme content. So. So that's kind of where I want to go moving forward, um, kind of leave all that stuff behind. Uh, you deviating away from, or both of you deviating away from um, transgressive art, does that mean that you are going to retire self-mutilation and blood play? Well, the, Daniel, that's up to you. <laughs> yeah. The, it, it's, see, the thing is already in the in the Bible and there probably is some stuff that's already been recorded, you know, things that have already been recorded. Um, it, it's also worth remembering that, you know, it happens in real films in mainstream films. There is real like violence and I can name like five different directors that have employed real violence. And um, so it's not anything completely unique. Um, the history, the history of cinema has, uh, you know, there's unsimilated stuff has been done before. Um, so I don't think we're, we're not necessarily going uncharted territory. We might have done, uh, it might have gone a lot further in some of our films. We took it a lot further than other directors have, but um, I just think, you know, going forward kind of my, definitely will never leave extreme cinema because the, I mean, I, I can't leave behind horror because the whole world is is horror. There, you know, horror, horror films are just a tiny reflection of the real world. No horror film will ever be as bad as the real world is. Mm -hmm. And so my, my films will, you know, any film, any any art or music I make will always reflect that. And so it's just that my reference points going forward is more like Salvador Dali or Pier Pasolini, you know, the religious films that they that people like them. Pasolini's Gospel of St. Matthew, Dolly's um, religious paintings, and uh, different things like that. So in a sense, it's still influenced by transgressive culture, but just looking at it from kind of a different angle. There's always been, I mean, religion was way ahead of itself on self-mutilation. You had St. Ambrose cutting himself, St. Francis of Assisi cutting himself, 
um, the saint, uh, one of the earliest Bible theologians, Origen, um, allegedly um, crushed his testicles with a rock because, you know, to stop from having sexual fantasies. So that's, it goes, I mean, Christ, the entire story of Christ is um, someone being tortured. Christianity is a blood religion. So it's, it goes hand in hand with, with the things I've done. Having uh, both of you uh, coming from different philosophies and I'm sure being friends and, and also making art together and being part of like the transgressive art movement, you, there's an overlap with the people that you know and that you interact with, but also the fact that you guys have different, um, like the fact that you are Christian and conservative, Daniel and um, Allison, I don't know, I don't know what you believe in, but also being parts of different communities, um, has there, has these different communities uh, had an, what kind of response have you guys got from the kind of art that you make? Like, what is the Christian conservative movement think about <laughs> the art that you make and Allison on your end? Um, what kind of responses? I'm sure, I'm sure, I mean, you guys make really extreme uh, boundary pushing work and just within the extreme horror community, it's made a splash. And I'm, I'm curious, the people outside of that community, what kind of response have you guys received um i anyone that i associate with is uh all about it and it just thinks i mean i have some friends that are pretty normal people but they you know love me and accept me and they just think it's some other weird thing that i'm doing um and other people that are into the same things you know they love it uh and yeah i mean Daniel? I, well, the people <laughs> I'm around, <laughs> it's just, it, it's like, um, okay, so, I mean, I think, again, it comes back to, like, I posted the first White Jardinia videos online the day after Trump won the election, because I was like, that that movement was so um, off the rails, and so extreme, it's more extreme than anything I could come up with, and I was working as the head of the Republican Party in uh, Great Falls, Montana, I ran the Great Falls field office for the 2016 election. And um, the, the Trump movement was so, um, <laughs> it's hard to explain now that the energy that surrounded that whole movement working inside the Republican party. But um, it, I, it was, it's so subversive in a way that I, I thought I can do anything I want. For instance, Split is about Christian nationalism. The entire film, well, I, and I, I think Jonathan, you might've seen that one, but the mm -hmm. entire film is about Christian nationalism. And, and the, the last, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes is all about, you know, the weaponizing the blood of Christ. Um, the, uh, the, you know, religious imagery is coming to the whole thing, black metal imagery, the, the connection between like Christian nationalism and black metal. And so I'm exploring that. I mean, there, there's like a, an intellectual basis. There, there's a conceptual basis to everything I do. And I'm not just going in blindly like Gigi Allen. I'm not, I'm just trying to make a spectacle, trying to get attention. I'm, you know, these are things I'm really genuinely obsessed with and I want, I want to explore them. And so, I mean, to me, that's what art is. It's trying to process things, disturbing things about life and hopefully make it interesting for other people. Um, talking about Split and talking about um, 
about the deep web film that you were a part of with um Christofaro. Uh what you sold you sold my but my buddy Taylor from Cult Collectibles um the cutting board that you used to cut your finger off and then I I bought the knife or the hatchet that you cut your finger off with. Um but what about the finger itself? Um in the in the short in 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 uh split um you guys like fry it up and and cook it um what followed after that and and where's the finger now <laughs> i don't know i don't know <laughs> we kind of lost track of it no um <laughs> maybe allison wants to answer that i'm not sure but what where the finger is yeah i don't well, know uh, finger uh, up to you guys frying it and and then what happened <laughs> like the whole process of it of it we, we filmed another like segment for um Bill Kate is a filmmaker, uh, him and Gore Filth and um, Tony Newton. And there might be a couple other directors. We're doing an anthology and they asked us to do like a um, kind of Elvira, Sven Gulli horror host kind of overarching segment to connect all, all their segments together. And we uh, did like a refried finger cooking, like a sequence where we recooked it and did a, a new recipe with it. And um, so that, I don't know when that release is coming out. It still hasn't been released yet, but um, that is the last time the finger has been seen. And um, so it's kind of floating around out there. <laughs> and if, you know, if anyone wants to, uh, I guess, I, I don't know the laws. I don't know the laws. I've had people ask to buy it. I've had people ask me to buy it, but I know you can sell shrunken heads, um, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I'd have to like check the legality of, of uh, <laughs> every time someone someone asks me about it, I um I say I'll get back to them. I need to check you know check the different statutes about selling body parts. And I'm pretty sure. You can. I mean, I've bought. I have quite a bit of like I've got a human skull. I've got piece of a human brain. I think you're allowed to. Uh, it, yeah. Is that true? Okay. Yeah. I, I thought it seemed ambiguous. I I noticed that there were some countries where it's definitely prohibited, but it did seem like in the United States, I definitely have seen shrunken heads. Um, I saw shrunken heads somewhere in San Francisco. And um, yeah, it comes down to wh whether it was legally obtained. And I mean, it's your finger, you own it. So right. you can do whatever you want, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just yeah, for the I mean, record, I would, I would, I would uh, definitely buy your finger if it was for sale. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to you, talk to me after the are we still rolling I mean are we still is this still part of the interview or are we are we doing like post post chat or uh we're not me, that, we're not done yet but we let's stay on the line and we'll talk we'll talk more because I have some stuff yeah. that I want to talk to you about as well so yeah 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 I saw your skull I saw your skull um when you were posted the uh the pic on Facebook with the the uh cleaver with the cleaver in front of the skull and I thought that looks like that was an interesting story whoever that guy uh, is behind the cleaver <laughs> I bought that skull from um, from the Vampire of Paris, Nico Clow. I don't know if you know him. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and he's like a grave. He was a grave robber and stuff. Uh, and he served some time. Uh, for he murdered someone, and he's engaged in cannibalism and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, I bought that skull off of him. So it's it's pretty interesting. It came from the catacombs of Paris. So it's like a four hundred year old skull. Um, but I, but I think it's really, I mean, I really, I have all kinds of crazy stuff and 
there's a there's something I think there's something significant and something you should be it's almost it's sacred to have a, a human skull you know that was someone's whole yeah. life yeah. in my mind we, um me and Allison are definitely interested in, in grave robbers um Allison was particular we were kind of banding about the idea of doing a um, oh, I forgot about that yeah yeah uh, uh, tell tell them a little bit the Anatoly Moskvin or whatever but uh, you know a lot of people are like again into him for the shock value but he was actually a very intelligent well he's still alive but he's actually a very intelligent person and had his own reasons for doing what he did and um i'm more interested in his knowledge on cemeteries and burial customs in his specific area in russia versus yeah. the grave robbing part but he definitely had like a meaning behind that that um a lot of people just kind of like look past because they're more interested in the the shock value part of it yeah, yeah i think and, and I mean, it's Holly Moskin, yeah um but yeah getting back to the back to the finger so allison you were gonna say something uh oh it, it is now? in it's in my freezer right now that's <laughs> all i was gonna say <laughs> uh did you guys actually eat parts of it yes how do you guys feel about being uh cannibals i feel like i didn't eat enough of it to to call myself that um it the smell and i've said this before on other podcasts but the smell was the worst fucking thing i've ever smelled in my entire life and i you know pick up roadkill you know the smell of like burning hair yeah it That's, was worse than that it was kind of like burning hair like amped up because it was the fingernail burning oh that it was fucking terrible god it was terrible <laughs> it was like the keratin or whatever in the fingernail and oh. uh, <laughs> and it yeah there was like this it, it was mm -hmm. like um i i would compare it to like burning hair times 10 um but also you know, I, I'm constantly chewing off bits of skin around my fingernails. So, I mean, I don't know if that technically is that cannibalism. I guess it. No. Auto cannibalism. Have you heard about that guy who got his foot amputated and then he made it into tacos? <laughs> no, no, no. Tell us about that. That sounds. Uh, he was. He actually had him on. I actually had him on my podcast. You guys are the third cannibals I've had on my podcast, actually. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty cool <laughs> um, tell, tell, let's hear about this guy i'm interested yeah, yeah, about yeah. That. <laughs> uh yeah so he got into a motorcycle accident and he like basically like crushed the bones in his leg and they took him to the doctor and the doctors were like dude your leg is we can't we can't save your leg we're gonna have to cut it off and he was like can i have it and they thought that was weird but they were like yeah, I mean, he had a sign or something, but they gave him his his leg back, and it usually was usually like, they don't allow people to like you know have their limbs and whatnot at, when they at hospitals. So it's interesting. Yeah, he had to do some paperwork or something. Uh, he had he had to like jump through some hoops to get it back, but he finally got it back, <laughs> and he wasn't sure what he wanted to do with it, so he kind of just threw it in the freezer, and uh, <laughs> he kept it for a while, and he and he went to a couple taxidermists, and the taxidermists were all like absolutely no they probably didn't want anything to do with it <laughs> and then uh he was like gonna freeze dry it and but it was gonna be too expensive and he and his friends i guess had a talk a while back like if there was an ethical way that they could participate in cannibalism 
um would they do it and then he he was like well we could eat it and so he hired a chef <laughs> and he sent a message out to his friends and was like yo are you guys gonna live up to your live up to your word like this is ethical cannibalism and uh and they showed up um and the leg was like from below his knee down and i guess they couldn't get like a great cut but they made tacos out of it there's a whole uh vice article on it and there's like pictures of the tacos they made what? And, uh, yeah he said it was really tough meat and really chewy but he i mean he did it so i, I think that's pretty cool i mean i, th I think if I if I had a way to ethically participate in cannibalism, I would do it too. Just I don't know. I mean, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah I grew up. Um, so so uh, that's a Great pretty Falls, interesting story. In Great Falls, Montana, where uh, I spent a lot, big part of my childhood, and I, I've lived there off and on. Mm -hmm. They um, just a few blocks away from my grandma's house, where I, where I lived for for many years. There was a uh, a guy named Nathaniel Barjona who was a cannibal, who uh, used the um grinding the meat grinders uh the like processing equipment at hardy's to to process human meat allegedly and wow. he um he would he was killing he was killing uh, people left and right but it was like um haunting you know as a as a kid reading those headlines and he was uh he, he was the fact that he worked there at hardy's where i didn't eat because i was a vegetarian but all of my all of my friends, all of my my family members, all would eat there on a regular basis, and they they speculated. I don't. There wasn't any hard proof, but they speculated that he was sneaking the the human flesh into the, you know, what what the customers were ordering. So that was um, that was an interesting and maybe one reason that Great Falls was a strange town and constantly, just in that small neighborhood I lived there, there's tons of. Um, murders you know unsolved murders weird, weird different things dating back to the 1950s that was always kind of fed into my imagination you know there there were things that probably in certain ways have showed up in my films but um yeah montana is weird where just two blocks away from where allison is right now there was they found two human legs in the or is it two blocks i don't know maybe it's uh it's probably like a mile away from my house yeah they found two dismembered um, human intact human legs and that was like six years ago and they've never been able to figure out who they belong to why they were just randomly sitting on a, in a trail in the woods and um, we, we've always been trying to solve that mystery but <laughs> I'm I'm sure if he really was grinding up people inside of that uh, meat grinder at Hardee's there was tra it's, I'm sure he wasn't like de uh, detailing cleaning it cleaning it out afterwards I'm sure there's probably trace bits of people that were inside that meat grinder. There's so many serial killers that are like, go unnoticed. And you wonder like how the, the main serial killers rise to this, where they become like household names when there's guys that are completely, you know, maniacal that you never even hear about. Kind of like, kind of like high school. It's like, there's the popular serial killers and then the, uh, the the ones who try to be popular but they just can't they're not good looking enough or whatever and <laughs> they never make it but um yeah, yeah i'm really big into uh collecting murderabilia and stuff like that and it's funny that you hear about some people and you're like this person is so fucking gnarly and and there no one even talks about him i mean actually um what's his name i have his uh 
Samuel Little is the most prolific serial killer in the United States. He killed like over 90 people and no one talks about him. I've never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he Wait, is he the was, nurse or the is that the guy? No, I'm pretty sure he was uh like killing mostly like sex workers and stuff. But I think oh, okay. the gnarly yeah, serial killer in the whole world is a nurse. I think Okay. I think it was a woman and and she just was like killing her patients left and right so yeah yeah there's there's so many that are like underappreciated uh, that are like you think that they would be i mean jeffrey dahmer and ted bundy get so much they they get movie after movie made about them but i was like like uh herbert mullen do you, do you have yeah. any of his he was I, have a, a, I have a whole bunch of herbert mullen stuff nice to stop earthquakes yeah 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 yeah, yeah <laughs> he's still alive too isn't he he just passed away actually did he oh oh wow yeah but yeah, he's got he there's like, lots of art available and stuff I, I actually have a piece of art that i could trade with you if you're oh, interested. yeah yeah how about um do you have any richard trenton chase no i don't have anything from him okay yeah yeah i was like herbert mullen he was kind of like a um it was like he was a well-intentioned serial killer like you say he was trying to save the save california from earthquakes just thought if he killed enough people uh, that would do the trick and so he was well-meaning at least yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway sorry about that oh no, no no uh one of the last questions i have is um so you've done work with demisiana cristofaro and jack mulvarnity and um how did you get in contact with them and what was the process of working with them uh well demisiano um cristofaro i had seen uh poison rouge's film sacrifice Mm -hmm. And I thought it was like um, kind of made an impression on me because I thought it kind of seemed like they was borrowing from my life story somehow. And it, it like even that the character was named Daniel and it almost felt like it was like in some magical way in, in some like, because I'd never met them. Obviously they live in Italy. I live in Montana and um, we had never come across each other's works, but it was like in some magical way, it was like, um kind of talking about me i kind of felt like and i was like i contacted poison rouge and i sent her a message saying how much i loved the film and then she was like really um interested because i well i sent her some of my video clips too and then she put me in contact with demisiano i think i think that's how it all played out and then he demisiano asked me to be an xxx dark web um which was the sequel to a well deep web was the first film i still haven't seen the first film um and then so me and allison made that segment with jack mulvanerty he was uh he actually messaged me about something and i was trying to put together i wanted split originally was going to be an anthology of like 10 different i wanted like 10 different segments different underground horror films and I was going to really set it for Halloween just as a, a like a homemade DVR. And um, so I just gave a deadline if everyone, a bunch of people agreed to do it. But Jack was the only one who got it done in time to release it on Halloween. And uh, and he did a really good job on it. And he's collaborating again. He's agreed at least he's going to try to contribute something for this, this Bible film. I've got several other high profile directors who have, um, you know, high profile for the, for as far as underground horror is concerned. They've agreed to contribute segments to the to the Bible film. They're each choosing the biblical character they would like to tackle. 
and then you know i'm just encouraging everyone to do it in their own style and would love to have you involved jonathan if you if you're interested would love to have you involved i've got two somewhat high profile people and i i can't really name who they are until they um you know we'll see if they actually get it back to me in time for the new version of mutilation theater um Jack Mulvanity has a new um, a video on there he made with um, one of our songs, with a White Gardenia song, and he created a clip for it. And the whole last hour of it is like collaborations I've done with people. Uh, Gore Filth does, does a film on there. Um, Christian Michelson from Quality Violent Cinema took one of our songs and created a, a segment about the Marquis de Sade. It's actually an amazing segment. And then um, and the one high profile guy I asked uh, was uh, the musician Ariel Pink. And he uh, took one of our songs and directed a video for that. And so that will all be on this new ver version of Mutilation Theater. And sorry, sorry to, to be um, trying to <laughs> market the film. It hasn't been announced yet. I don't know when they're gonna announce it. I think it might be like uh, so sometime this month, I think uh, Gordrome said they would be announcing it, but I'm looking forward to it because it's got like a, um, I think they have like a 12 page booklet and all these extra features and everything. So I'm excited to see what they come up with. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely down to be a part of the project as well. The, the, the biblical project, I'm totally on board. So count me oh, in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Thanks, Jonathan. I'll, yeah, I'll definitely talk to you about that after, uh, um, you know, after we're done with the podcast, I'll kind of give you a bit more info on that. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I guess one of the last things is, is, with white gardenia what are both of your inspirations I'm, i mean uh daniel you said you're you're into extreme underground are you what what inspirations do you have allison um yeah i i honestly am not like uh super i'm not like obsessed with gore and all that kind of stuff um i think it's more yeah just of like i'm just interested in like transgressive art and um mixing you know elements of life and death and sexual uh not in the fetish way like like i previously said um just elements together uh what inspires me i don't know um just a constant uh involving myself with uh death in any way that i can and whatever uh anyone that came before me, I guess, is an inspiration. <laughs> I, I think that is one common ground is we both are obsessed with death. We're just kind of looking at it from different angles. Right, right. Just like, we're just like, it, that, that is the, the main common ground. I mean, there's, we have many other things that we share that, but I think that's, that's the thing that um, is particular to me and me and Allison, that maybe some of my other collaborators don't have kind of that fixation on death. But we're just coming at it from different angles. We're just polar opposites. And, but it, and it's the same with any of the other topics that we look at. Um, you know, that, I think that's one of the misunderstandings about extreme film is that to depict something or to, or to explore something, like I can fixate on death. I can obsess over death and depict death, pain, violence, but it's it's because I'm these are things that um, I'm disturbed by it. I'm completely opposed to the concept of death. But I have but you have to be able to depict that in films. You have to be able to explore these ideas in films, and I have to be able to um, 
there is directors that are looking that that um I guess I would say that we are like ethical, that we approach it from an ethical viewpoint. Um, everything I do, I hope I'm doing from an ethical viewpoint and I'm doing it in a way that I can explore these topics without glamorizing them. There's tons, a million like goth bands that glamorize death and make it seem like, um, you know, the death is something cute, the death is something um, that turned into something attractive or glamorous. And I, I would hope I would never, that I'm not doing that. Um, I, I would hope that always I'm doing it as, that I'm approaching it as this is a topic that needs to be looked at. And evil is a topic that needs to be looked at. And I'm approaching it in good faith and like trying to, trying to understand it. And um, I mean, I think that's the duty of an artist is to go and look at things, especially things like that, with the kind of art we make, like just, I, I feel like I'm just like crawling through the darkness, like ex looking at things other people don't want to explore or look at. And I, I think great artists have done that. Like Pasolini did that, um, Dolly. I think that that's, um, and it has to be done. You know, someone in society has to be looking at the dark side, paying attention to the dark side. Um, well, well, and it know. doesn't it doesn't have to necessarily be referred to as the dark side, though. That's that's my take on it. It's like. It's not right. It, it well, shouldn't it, be something that's, you know, it's just what it is. And yeah, people like glam, like Daniel, like you're saying, they glamorize it and romanticize it. But I don't feel like for me personally, yeah. that's not what I'm doing. Like, I'm not like, oh, yeah, I really want to die. Like, it's no, not no, like you're that. not. You're not. You're absolutely not. I know you. I know you so well to yeah. know that, that that's not at all what you're about. Yeah, I, I know. I know where you're coming from. And I. Allison is one of the most intelligent people I know, and I completely understand her philosophy and the difference, why, why my, my philosophy and her philosophy are different. But there's enough common ground that we can, that we're able to collaborate on everything in a way that's really, um, I never, I never, we never really argue, you know, we, me and Allison don't, we, we know, already know the differences. We already know the, and like the, we, I, I mean, we, I think we understand each other well enough at this point. We've been working together like five years, five, maybe six years. I, I can't remember, but we, we already know um, kind of what the other person is thinking. And so I, I think I only respect the differences, you know, and any, and I, there, there's certain people that are like, um, I've collaborated with certain people. Well, I won't get into that, but anyways, yeah, I will always, hopefully always collaborate with Allison. We're, um, we're married and we're, we got married <laughs> and Allison, it, we're not going through the best. We're having like a little bit of a falling out, you know, um, where the marriage might not last that much longer. <laughs> I hope I'm allowed <laughs> to say this, but um, it, it, it could be that the marriage is kind of, you know, I mean, that's always been an option that we, that it, you know, Allison might leave. Um, we're very, have sort of an open marriage, I guess you would say. But if, if she leaves, it, you know, even if the marriage dissolves, I will still always, you know, love collaborating with her and will always want to collaborate with her. And, um, and hopefully we will, even, even if <laughs> that happens. I don't want the marriage to end, but if it does end, I would love to continue to collaborate with her and, um, and we'll continue to go forward doing art because she's, you know, we've made amazing art. I, I feel I'm really proud of everything we've done and I would love to continue working mm -hmm. and, um, Hopefully she feels the same way. 
Um, well, before we come to an end, is there anything that you guys want to uh, discuss? And if not, uh, where can we find you guys? Um, I feel like uh, that was pretty good. I, I liked the questions. Um, it was uh, interesting that you asked Daniel if he had like a proclivity towards a, towards a specific hand. Mm -hmm. um I feel like no one has ever asked that and uh recently I've been like because I believe in like synchronicity but recently um I've been talking with a friend and we've been seeing hands for like months now um just come up like just like that being the main focus of whatever we see it in so it was interesting that you asked that um but yeah, I, I enjoyed the I enjoyed all the questions and I feel like we covered a lot. Awesome. What about you, Daniel? Oh, I'm sorry. What was the question? Is there anything else that you want to discuss or? Um... Um, I guess just as far as if if people want to pick up that mutilation theater release that's coming out, um, <laughs> like I say, it might be the last word kind of on the for the self mutilation stuff in the way that it's this kind of stuff that we're that the um our the people that order our discs we will continue doing stuff but it'll just be different it, it'll be so this is kind of a collection of the stuff we've done and kind of the final collection on that phase of of this particular art project and so if people kind of want to see something that will kind of put all those films together i think it's like four hours of different clips and it is different from the previous blu-ray version that they that they put out and this will have some like really interesting extra features. Like I say, it's got um, Ariel Pink is on it and um, collaborations with uh, <laughs> different, yeah, Wayne Coyne from the Fleming Lips makes that is a little bit of um, a musical collaboration on it. <laughs> and um, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I think, I think I'm going to, I'm really happy with that, how the way that one turned out. Um, other than that, also the Bible, the Bible film, if anyone is interested, anyone who's worked in, you know any directors out there who would like to contribute to that feel free to contact me um everyone's being assigned like a different direct uh, it people can choose whatever biblical character or you know whatever book of the bible they'd like to tackle um the first chapter is being handled by um i think i can say this celeste henry who's doing a like really amazing job with uh the story of adam and eve and um and so far everything i've gotten has been really like amazing i i'm really um people are pulling out the stops and really everyone's doing their like their own aesthetic approach to it and so it's i think trying to do keep it under four hours but it's going to be pretty i think it should be pretty intense other than that i think i think that's it those are the two big projects coming up right now and um sorry i don't mean to to turn it into a sales pitch but that's just that that's kind of the um the only thing i can think of on the horizon right now well, I mean that no man, that's that's the whole point. Um and so if, if people do want to dive deeper into um your guys' work or whatever you're working on or reach out to you, um, where can they find you? What are your social media plugs? Like plug plug all your stuff, both of you. I like to keep mine l less uh obvious because I just don't I'm not interested in like all of random people's bullshit. So <laughs> Right on, right on. <laughs> oh, mine is um, 
Well, you can follow. Well, we have uh, filmfreeway.com. If you look at Film Freeway, White Gardenia, you, that has some of our films posted. Um, if you go to Mutilation Theater, I think it's on my Facebook page. There's a link to our website, which is Mutilation Theater. I don't know. I think if you just Google like Mutilation Theater White Gardenia, that that'll be the top result. And if you go to, um, I have a YouTube channel, White Gardenia. I, I don't know. We we I, we don't have like totally many. Um, I guess that that website, Mutilation Theater, is probably the best place if you want to see the films online. A lot of the the films, you know, got pulled down. We used to have a Vimeo channel, and they they pulled it all down, which kind of which which is kind of unfortunate. Um, if anyone knows a, a great like media hosting site where they don't censor content, um, I'd like to. I wish there was more online content people could check out. Um, other than that, you know, you can go to tetro.com to order XXX Dark Web. You can go to brokehouse.com to order How to Raise Women from the Dead. Um, you can go to uh, Bill Cates' new one. I think you can message him. Oh, Safe Space 3. Uh, he just put out a new anthology that's got like three White Gardenia films on it. Um, also, Brandon Terry, um, uh, Gorefield. Um, that, that's a, awesome. I just watched that. Um, Safe Space 3 is fantastic and um, message bill kate on facebook to get a copy of that and sorry sorry you can cut out all this if you want to <laughs> you can cut out all the sales pitches but safe space 3 is awesome like that i that's the one i should promote because um he did such a great job on that and he put and he um put like three white gardenia films on it so i feel like really honored to be a part of that hell yeah well i appreciate you both coming on and being so honest and transparent with everything and uh um yeah we'll, we'll, we'll continue talking after this but uh let's say bye to everybody so thank you everybody for listening yeah thanks a lot jonathan we really yep. appreciate thank it. you for thank you for having us yes thank you for listening to this episode of the uneasy train explorers club podcast this podcast is the product of putrid productions which also produces my youtube channels cinema's underbelly where i analyze and review extreme underground cinema as well as my channel Murderbilia Show and Tell, where I share pieces of true crime relics from my personal collection and tell the stories behind them. Additionally, Putrid Productions also has its own distribution label, Vile Video Productions, where I release my films as well as the movies of other filmmakers within the extreme horror underground. So if you want to keep the putrefication going, make sure to check out these other endeavors, as well as keeping a lookout for upcoming podcast episodes. Till next time. I'm Jonathan Doe, and this is the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast.